You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. May God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. You know, obviously, I, um, I love Easter. It's one of our favorite uh, days of the year. Um, but I've just got to say to you that I love being here with you. Um, I think back about the fact that a year ago, the first time that I ever stood to share God's Word with you was on Easter Sunday morning. I don't think I'll ever forget that day as long as I live. It was such an incredible time for Annette and myself. Um, I said to Annette recently, I said, did you ever believe that God would um, let us pastor a church like Bethany First Church? Annette, in all of your wildest dreams, did you ever think we would be here? And Annette said to me, well, Rick, actually, you've never appeared in my wildest dreams. Uh, You probably know she didn't say that. I just... Boy, I'm, I'm excited to share my heart with you this morning. Um, there's a lot of brokenness in the world that I live in. I just see it every day. Once in a while, I talk about the fact that we live in a fallen world. This is not what God had in mind. There's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of suffering. Sometimes I engage in conversations with people and they are just really consumed and maybe even haunted by past failure. I let God down. I let people that love me down. I let myself down. I blew it. I messed up. I failed. And they tend to spend all their life trying to get beyond the failure. I I engage with conversations with other people who, it it really isn't about a past failure, it's more about a painful past. They were hurt. Sometimes I walk away from conversations and I just think, nobody should ever have to go through what that person has gone through. And they try hard to look to the future and they try hard to find healing and help and the grace of God and and they try to be positive but when they look back to the past there's just pain there and sometimes I engage in conversations with people who live in doubt I thought it was steady I thought it was solid I thought I knew what I believed but something came into my life and my world has been shaken and I find myself for the first time ever saying God are you really there Do you really hear me when I pray? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm going through? God, you're there, right? For the first time in my life, I tend to doubt. You heard the scripture read just a few moments ago, and in the scripture, you heard the stories of three people, Simon, Peter, Mary Magdalene, and Thomas. And they were in some of the darkest moments of their entire life. But it was in the power of the resurrection that they found life again. And they found peace. 
and they found hope. I love the words that we hear Peter say when he's with John, uh, or rather what the scripture says, they saw and believed. And Mary Magdalene says, teacher, and then she goes to the disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. And Thomas, in all of his doubts, he cries out, my Lord and my God. And so John writes the story early in the morning on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and she finds that the stone has been rolled away. And I won't read all of that chapter that you just heard a moment ago, but if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 20 and leave them open in your lap during the sermon, you're welcome to do so. You know what a creed is, right? You feel like you could give a good definition of a creed? Could you simply tell somebody if they asked you, this is what a creed is. I think just to be as simplistic as I can be, a creed is a statement of belief. And so I'm going to put a creed on the screen. The Apostles' Creed. It was probably written 1,600 years ago. It is so significant to the church of Jesus Christ. It is our statement of belief. And so what I want us to do is read the creed together in unison. And then after we read the creed together in unison, you better pay close attention because I'm going to ask you a personal question about the creed. So you ready? Here it is on the screen. We'll read it in unison. And then after we read it, I want you to pay close attention because I'm going to ask you a personal question about what we've read. So here we go. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So you ready for the question? Do you believe those words? I'm not asking you if as a church we believe those words. I'm asking you a personal question. Do you believe those words? Let me get even more specific with you. The part where it talks about on the third day he arose from the dead. Do you believe that happened? What I'm asking you is, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I became a little bit curious. And so I went online and I started looking at polls. I looked at several polls. And so I'm kind of going to give you some round numbers. But when, when the American people were asked, do you believe in God? Just over 90% said, I believe in the God of the Bible. And so if you ask the question, do you believe in a supernatural or supreme being, that number goes up quite a bit. But if you ask the question, do you believe in the God of the Bible, just over 90% of Americans say, I believe in the God of the Bible. 
So when asked the question, do you believe in heaven? About 85% of the people who are Americans said, I believe in heaven. What percentage do you think said they believed in hell? It goes down a little bit. About 60% said, I believe in hell. The the most interesting thing that I learned was that only about one half of 1%, not 1%, but one half of 1% of American people believe that they might go to hell. What was kind of funny to me was that everybody asked, though, believed they knew somebody else who would probably go to hell. (laughs) So what percent of the American people would you assume believe in the resurrection? And so if we're kind of on a slippery slope and we're decreasing in number, over 90% believe in God, 85% in heaven, 60% in hell, what number would you assume believes in the resurrection? I I was shocked. And, and you're not for sure yet which direction I was shocked in because it was high or low. But when Americans were asked, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You might find it interesting that 70% said, I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an event that actually took place in history. Listen to this. One half of people who seldom or never attend church said, I believe the resurrection is an actual historical event. So John writes about the resurrection. And he says, you know, Jesus did many other miraculous things that are not recorded in this book. I didn't write them all down. But I wrote these down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life. Does that mean that 70% of the people who live in America have that life that John was talking about? Does that seem high to you? You know, I, I want to talk to you a, a little bit about it, okay? I, um, I just got back from Africa. Uh, I'm 51 years old, and um, two weeks ago uh, was my first time to ever be on the continent of Africa. Um, I spent a couple of weeks in Swaziland, and if you don't mind me just taking the liberty for a moment, I, I really want to stand here and look you in the eye and tell you how proud I am of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene for what God has allowed you and the other partners to accomplish in Swaziland. I can't tell you how many times I just breathed under my breath a prayer that said, Lord, thank you for what Bethany First Church is doing here. I, I, I saw water wells that's providing fresh, clean water for people to drink. I saw people with AIDS who are being cared for by very compassionate people. I saw a hospital that is functioning at a very high level. I saw a new dental clinic that is going to serve the people in that city, in that country. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, and, and I have nothing to do with any of that. That's long before my coming. But I was just so impressed and so proud 
and so thankful for every one of you who have given a dollar and everybody who has gone on a go team and everybody who has contributed in any way. God has used you powerfully to transform a little country. And, and I was so thankful. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have the, the, the power to go to Swaziland on my own. I, I wouldn't know how to navigate a boat. Um, I definitely cannot fly a plane. Um, it's too far to swim. You, you can't drive or walk. And so in my own strength and ability, I, I don't have any way to get to Swaziland. I don't have any way to get to the southern part of Africa. And, and so what it came down to for me to get there was an issue of trust. And so what I did was I got on a plane and I flew to Atlanta and we got off the plane and we got on another plane in Atlanta. And what I did when I got on that plane, I'm just telling you how it happened. I went back and I sat down in a seat. And I just knew in my heart that the only way I was going to get to Johannesburg was to trust the ability of that pilot and that co-pilot to get me there. And so I just knew that there was no other way that I was going to get there. And so I just went back and I just had a seat and I just said to myself, I'm going to trust these people to get me to Johannesburg. And so 15 and one half hours later, we land in Johannesburg. So Paul writes about the resurrection. I mean, John writes about the resurrection. And, and when he writes in the 20th chapter, the chapter that you heard read a moment ago from the screens, he uses one word over and over again. And the word that he uses is believe. He talks about, and that by believing, you might have life. And he talks about how John and Peter believed, and we understand that Thomas believed and Mary believed. So when John writes it in the ancient Greek language, he uses the word pistuo. And so the word obviously means to, to believe that something is true. Um, you know, I, 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 I would say that uh, I believe in the resurrection. In other words, I'm saying the resurrection happened in my mind. I, I believe in that. But I learned in language study years ago that words don't really have meaning. People do. And so the question is, what does John mean when he uses the word believe? Pistuo. John consistently in his New Testament writings has an understanding of this word. And it's far more than just believing that something is true or acknowledging that something is true. It has the element of trust. John uses it to, con to connotate the idea that, that I believe that God or Jesus has the ability, the power to aid or help me to accomplish something that I cannot accomplish on my own. And so this idea of believing, this idea of faith is very much connected to saving faith. And so the way John uses the word, it's a lot like that plane ride I took to Southern Africa. I admit to myself that I don't have the ability to to bring about the kind of life that Jesus wants me to have. In my own strength and my own power, I can't forgive my own sins. I don't have the ability to save my own soul. The idea of getting myself to heaven, I'm hopeless. 
It's when I acknowledge that. And I believe. And I put my trust in Jesus. And I say, Lord, the only way that I can experience the kind of life that your word tells me is possible. And the only way that I can be forgiven of my sins. And the only way my soul can be saved. And the only way I ever have any hope of getting to heaven when I leave this world. Is if I trust in you and you take me there. I believe in you. And I believe in what you have the power to do in me. You know, there's a few things that I know about the people that I live among. And, and one of the things that I know about the people in my world today is that we're not very concerned about dying. We're a lot more concerned about living. I remember standing here a few months ago and I made this statement. People aren't wringing their hands and saying, what happens if I die? People are saying, what happens if I live? What is my life going to be like? I want my life to be full and I want my life to be rich and I want my life to be good. I want quality in my life. When I think about Simon Peter and Mary Magdalene and Thomas, When the crucifixion occurs and their world is shaken at its very core, they're just wanting life back. The life they had just known. You remember Simon Peter's story. It's, it's really quite interesting. It was the night before that Jesus died. Something terrible happens. The Bible says that the disciples, they followed Jesus, but it also says that they followed Jesus at a distance. There was a reason for that. And you remember how the story unfolds. They come to Peter and they say, hey, you, you're with Jesus, right? You're one of his. And Simon Peter's response is, I, I don't know this guy. And the second time, somebody asked him, but, but surely you're one of his disciples, right? You're, you're one of his. And Simon Peter says, no, I'm, I'm not with him. And finally, the third time, somebody says, but surely you are one of his followers. And Simon Peter cries out, I told you, I don't know the man. And he hears the, hears the sound of the rooster crowing in the background. And he remembers the words of Jesus. I, I got a feeling if you would have found him the next morning, his, his knees would have been on, his elbows would have been on his knees and his face in his hands. And, and you would have said to him, Simon Peter, what happened out there? What happened last night? And, and I think Simon Peter would have said, I, I don't know what happened. I blew it, okay? I messed up really bad. I failed him. I was supposed to stand tall and I fell short. I was supposed to step forward and, and I fell backward instead. I messed up really bad. 
I mean, I think, I think we relate to that. I think we know what it's like to say, I blew it. I let God down. I messed up. I think if you said to Peter, what is your greatest regret in all of your life? Do you have one? A greatest regret that is. I think if you asked Simon Peter, he wouldn't have any trouble answering. I think he would say, if I could relive that one night, if I could do it over, I would sure do it differently. You know, it's not the end of the story. Because after the resurrection, Jesus is on the shore and Simon Peter is in a boat fishing. Why? Because you just go back to life, right? I guess I'm out. I guess I'm done. I guess I'm all washed up. I guess I don't get another chance. I guess I blew it. So I guess I'll just go back to doing what I do. I fish for a living. And so I put the three years behind me and I go back to life. And he sees Jesus calling him from the shore and he jumps into the water and he swims to the shore and Jesus says to him, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know, I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. You know, I I think in our vernacular it would be like this. Are you kidding me? Are you giving me my old job back? You mean I'm not out? And on that shore, Jesus reinstates Peter. My friends, Daryl and Dovey, said to me, we we didn't want to be the couple with the identity of the ones who lost our little girl when she was only eight years old. That was the last thing we would wanted to have been known for. But that's who we are. The day that she was killed was the first day that we ever really experienced pain in our lives. You you don't have to look far to find pain. You don't have to look far to find people who have been hurt. People who have been abused. And they're trying to look forward and they're trying to find hope and they're finding grace in Jesus. But honestly, when they look back, there's pain in the past. We don't understand all of Mary Magdalene's story. But what we do know is that there was a lot of pain in her past. The day she met Jesus, we are told in the scripture that he cast seven demons out of her. Some, of course, may have been associated with illness. We don't know the whole story. We're left to wonder. What we do know was there was a lot of pain in her past. And then she meets Jesus. And her life changes. And then she was there on her knees when they nailed him to the cross. And now where is life going? And I can't imagine what it was like when the disciples saw Mary bursting into the room saying, I have seen the Lord. He is alive. And the life that he has given me and the hope that I have is still alive too. If, if I say the name Thomas, what is the first word that comes to your mind? It's all he's known for. Bless his heart. 
Let me talk to you about Thomas. One, one day while we were in Swaziland, we had the opportunity, and some of you who have been know exactly what I'm talking about. We went with an organization, a Nazarene organization called the AIDS Task Force. It's a compassionate ministry. It's a group of people. Here's what they do. They just go to people who have learned that they've had AIDS and they visit them every week. And they give them food and they sing to them and they pray over them and they talk to them about the medication and they help them devise a system to keep up with their medication. It's just a compassionate ministry. And so we went. I've seen some poverty in my life in places like South America and Central America. But, but the day that we got in this little combi and we headed out to this, this work camp that sat beside a sugarcane field, I wasn't prepared for what I was going to see. Let, let me show you a picture. Little kids, they begin to come and run up to us just almost immediately. You can see that some of the children have on shirts but not bottoms. Others have bottoms but not tops on They were the dirtiest children I've ever seen in my life. They were the poorest children I think I've ever seen in my life. Their homes in the camp looked like the next picture I'm going to show you. It was really just made out of of mud and and, and rock. I, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is these people live in dirt. I mean, they live in dirt. On the floor of many of those little shacks, there was just... uh, a piece of black plastic over the dirt. And so we went to see a guy whose name was John. He was seated right at the entrance of his little shack. And so before we saw John, or rather before we, we, uh, we left, Evelyn, the, the lady who was precious, she kind of laughed. She always laughs. And, and she said, well, let's sing to John. Let me, let me just show you a picture. We didn't want to be intrusive with cameras, but kind of back over on the left side behind the lady in the red, that's John. That's a doctor that we took with us with Dean McGee, and those are two of the ladies with the task force. But that's the front of his little home. You can take the picture down if you want. Let's sing, she said. What would you like to sing? I don't know, what do you sing? And Evelyn kind of laughed again, and she goes, Oh, okay, let's, let's sing Jesus Loves Me, John. And so we all started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Just like kids sing it, For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, They are weak, but he is strong. We get to the chorus, and with this infectious smile, Evelyn is singing with her eyes closed. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. I I think I'm a pretty positive person. I think that I'm I'm a person who has very strong faith. I'm always the one saying, no, God is with us. You just trust. But while we were singing that little song to John, it was one of the first times in my life that I felt the strong temptation to really doubt because I wanted to say, really? Really, God? You love John? 
I mean, I couldn't consider a more pathetic situation if I tried. This man has AIDS. He lives in dirt. If Evelyn wasn't bringing him something to eat, he wouldn't have any food. And I'm saying, God, if you love John, I need to see a little more than I'm seeing right now. I just don't see a lot of evidence of your love right here. And so after we sung, I, I prayed for John. And then we gave him this big tub of food. And you're not going to believe what John says when we finished all that we had to do. He looks up to us and he smiles. And he says, God has blessed me today. He has sent his people, his angels, he called us, from a place very far away. And I don't think John had any idea probably where the United States of America was. But they have brought me a doctor, and they have brought me food, and they have prayed over me. God is good to me, John said. Do you understand that God used John to restore my faith? John wasn't confused about God's love. I was. I realize that in the West, we tend to think of God loving us and blessing us in terms of monetary gain. Look how good God is to me. Look how much God loves us. And God revealed to me that day, Rick, my blessings for you are much richer and much deeper than monetary gain. John wasn't doubting. I was. My world was shaking a little that morning. I looked into the eyes of those children and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I went over and I sat down on a board because I thought I was going to be nauseated. I thought I was going to be sick. I had to kind of collect myself for a minute. And in that moment, I was tempted to doubt. You understand that the world of Thomas had been shaken. They had nailed his Savior to a tree. And he says, I don't know, guys. I, I, don't know what, I don't know where I stand. I used to know what I believe, but right now I'm struggling. Unless I see with my own eyes the nail prints, unless I feel with my own hand the scars, I'm not believing. And so Jesus appears. And in the power of the resurrection... Thomas believed. So, so you're probably saying to me, Rick, uh, what, what are you trying to say to us today? You know, what, what, what are you trying to communicate? It, it's really simple, okay? Here's, here's all I'm trying to say. Is that Jesus Christ is risen. And what's exciting about that is that he invites us to share in the resurrection and to share in his life. Regardless of our failures and regardless of our painful past and in regardless of our doubts, he calls us to a new life with him. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm probably, uh, probably out of time, but I might take just another minute or two, okay? Okay. I, um, I went to a Cincinnati Reds game before I left Cincinnati with my friend Dick Hines. He has great seats. 
The second row back from the Reds' dugout. So when they come in, the players come into the dugout. I mean, you're right there. I'm as close as I am to you, Mark. I mean, I can make eye contact with these guys. So I just sit back and say, what's up? <laughs> they usually don't acknowledge me. <laughs> on, on this particular day, sitting in front of us is about six people from, from a workplace together. They're younger than I am. It's both men and women. It's not couples. It's just people who work together. And they're really friendly. They're turning around talking a whole bunch. And uh, Dick is quite a character. He's, he's interesting to talk to. And the guy that we don't know that was beside me, he was very fun to talk to. And so it was kind of like just a party, the group of us. We were just having a great time talking mostly about baseball. But they were friendly. They were kind. They kept trying to buy me a drink, and I kept declining. So we get to about the eighth inning. And I mean, it's been a, a good time. And, and I don't know why, but I felt like this might be coming. One of the gals turns around and says, Hey, Rick, what do you do? I'm thinking, you didn't ask Dick what he did. You didn't ask this guy what he did. And so I smiled and I said, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church here in Cincinnati. And she says to me, you're not going to believe this, but my dad is a pastor. I'm a preacher's kid. I said, really, both of my daughters are preacher's kids. <laughs> I, I thought that might just shut the whole conversation down right there. That might just be enough. It was the opposite. A little later, one of the guys turns around and he kind of motions at him and one of the gals sitting beside me. He goes, hey, Rick. You need to save our souls. I said, hey, believe me, I will if I can. There was lots of conversation, especially between that guy and that girl. And she says to me, she says, my parents, my parents pray for me all the time. I, I, I know what that's about. I pray for Brittany all the time. And I pray for her boyfriend, Tim, who is her... Beyonce now. I pray for Morgan and I pray for her boyfriend. I pray for Annette and I am her boyfriend. <laughs> but sitting there that day, I somehow in my heart began to believe that maybe God had answered the prayers of her parents by setting me in that seat. I think the last thing she expected to have was a faith conversation. But I noticed when she started, she couldn't stop. You know what I think that group was? I think they were in the 70%. Yes. I think if I would have said, do you believe in the resurrection? I think they would have said, yeah, we believe. And I'm not judging anybody. Don't misunderstand me. I just think, based on what they said, they are not living the life that I find discussed in the Word of God that is possible for all of us to live. You see, Simon Peter and Mary Magdalene and Thomas, they believed in the resurrection. But their faith was deeper than that. They put their trust in Jesus for life and for forgiveness of sin. And for heaven someday. And they said, there's no way I can get there on my own or by myself. 
The only way I'm going to get there is if I put my trust in Jesus. And the only way I'm going to have the kind of life that I read about in the Bible is if Jesus brings that life to me. Have you put your trust in him? I want us to close our time together this morning by praying, okay? So you can, you can pray where you are, or you can, you can come forward and, and kneel here at an altar and pray. We, we in the Church of the Nazarene, we have these altars. It doesn't mean you're becoming a member of the church or anything like that. It just means you are coming to find a place to pray. And sometimes when we come forward to pray, we come because it's really nice when other people come and pray with us and pray for us. And so it becomes a community event where we share a prayer time together. And so you say, well, Rick, if I prayed this morning, what would I pray about, either in my seat or if I came here? Well, I think there's a lot of people who are dealing with past failures. messed up I blew it it haunts me I live with it Simon Peter can identify with that I think there's a lot of people who have pain in their past and you just love to be healed I don't want to let this be my only source of identity. I want to move beyond my past. Some of you, your world has been shaken. For the first time in your life, you find yourself doubting. And this morning, Jesus is calling all of us, regardless of our failures and regardless of our painful past and regardless of our doubts, he's calling us to share in the resurrection and he's calling us to life. Maybe this morning you need healing. Maybe it's physical healing that you need. And I'm going to ask some pastors to come at this time and just stand. And so if you want a pastor to pray for you, just go to one of these pastors that is standing here and just say, would you pray for me? And, and they have oil. If you would like for them to anoint you with oil, they would be happy to do that for you this morning. Maybe this morning you, you're saying, Rick, I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ. I want to trust Jesus for forgiveness of sin. I want to trust Jesus for life. I want to trust Jesus for heaven when I leave this world. So I'm going to ask us to stand together. We're going to sing, and as we sing, I'm going to challenge you to take some time to pray. So let's sing and let's pray together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.